Folks, this week's episode is the delightful, talented, charming, exuberantly wonderful Addison Peacock. She is a voiceover artist at the No Sleep Podcast, has her own podcast called The Cryptid Keepers. Check those out. We also talk a bit about those at the end of the show. So if you forget where she is and what she does by the end of it, because the conversation is just like so very good and so very intriguing, go check her out there the end um i would like to thank all of our patreon supporters go to patreon.com slash wayward wordsmiths wayward as in words that you speak wordsmiths um at patreon if you have an interest in supporting us and find more information about our other two podcasts there but enough of me blithering blathering dillying dallying dithering dathering fathering and flathering hmm not a fan of those last two let's get to the interview though To be that is the question. Uh-huh. I think therefore I am a legend. It's 24 7, 365. Parents advise discretion with thoughts like mine. Uh-huh. Empires fall. You should know that these walls only up for protection. For protection. World on guard got them all on the edge. Walls at eight feet, barely balance the tension. Raising the heat, I could leave any second. Fall to the street and be home by 11. Do an interview with KP on the session and laugh when he asks if it's passion or an obsession. Yes, the point I'm at, there's no difference. Hi, Addison. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm well. How are you? I'm doing all right. So you are an actor out in where are you exactly? Again? <laughs> I'm in middle of nowhere, Virginia, right now. But I oh, yeah? do most of my work remotely. Um, okay. Because it's voice acting, so I do it. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the the No Sleep podcast, right? I am. I am on the No Sleep yeah. podcast. But, so, are you from Virginia, or where are you from? I'm, I mean, I was born in Atlanta, but okay. I've lived in this particular part of Virginia since I was about eight. Yeah? Okay. Um, and how, like, okay, so, wh- do you have siblings, or what? Oh, no, just me. Just you? Just me. Just you. Oh, okay, okay. And where did you guys vacation growing up? Where did we vacation growing up? Yeah. Uh, Topsail, North Carolina. <laughs> Okay. What's that like? That's it's nice. It's uh it's not super crowded. I always hesitate to actually tell people about it because uh we always lucked out with having it be really uh the beaches there being really empty. <laughs> and I don't want people to know okay. because then it'll turn out like every other uh beach <laughs> in the southern United States, which is to say impossible to navigate right. because there's so many people. But Mhm. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and when did you when did hmm? you start acting? When did um, you start acting? Oh my god! Well, <laughs> I mean, do you want the answer for like actually acting, or like the answer for my first anything? 
I want to know the moment you decided that you okay, liked well, this Okay, well, then kind that was probably That's what I in yeah. maybe sixth or seventh grade. Seventh grade. I'm going to go seventh grade. I was, mm-hmm. uh, we ha- I went to a school, um, this like little, this small private school where uh, there were like 30 people to a year and the seventh graders always put up a musical <laughs> and you were required. Everyone had to do it. And I was mm-hmm. the only person in it aside from like one other guy who actually wanted to be there um, and who actually was enjoying it. And so because of that, I mm-hmm. played the lead. There are air quotes for the audio auditory audience here. But um, uh, in a musical called Catastrophe <laughs> Kate with two Ks, uh, which follows a young culinary mm-hmm. student who's very good at making chili and no one in New York wants to eat her chili. So she moves to Texas where people appreciate chili and falls in love with a, an outlaw named Jose Habanero. <laughs> and that's the musical. <laughs> and that was my stage debut. That sounds delightful. Um, and then I uh, okay. finished middle school, went to high school, was in the musical every year. And auditioned for BFA musical theater mm-hmm. programs, which is what I am doing right now, mm-hmm. getting my bachelor's in musical theater. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Where Where are you going to school? I am at Shenandoah Conservatory. Mm-hmm. That is um, here in Winchester. <laughs> okay. It's a uh, <laughs> top ten uh, musical theater program. Okay. And, so and that's, that's not just me talking out of my ass. We've been featured on a <laughs> several different Playbill.com, Broadway World, several different uh, sites for that sort of thing. Very cool. Very cool. But and um, so it, musical theater is your is your MO then? That's what the, it's, the well, end I mean, goal it's, is. I wouldn't call it my MO, but I would call it my degree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, then what is your Emma? What do you want to g- end up going into? I mean, I would call my I would call my Emma voice acting. Okay. Uh, and particularly, it's it's the thing I've been like working in for um mm-hmm. the, or not not for the longest, but for but the most I should say. Okay. Yeah, um, because you're on No Sleep, and then what else are you on? I'm right on now? No Sleep. I'm on Small Town Horror. I'm on The Wicked Library, and I'm uh, appearing in two audio dramas that uh, start one soon. One in October, which is the death of Dr. John Parker, and one in mm-hmm. February, which is Congeria, which is sponsored by Shudder. Okay. <laughs> Little plug uh, for our sponsor, <laughs> but. It's yep. all horror except for John Parker, which is a murder mystery. Yeah, it all seems very spooky. I was like, wh- at what point, why are you, I do, let me, let me rephrase my question. Do you know why you're into that or is it just something that appeals it's, to you? I think when one thing starts, it's hard to not be kind of typecast in that genre and in that world. Okay. And I, uh, and No Sleep was the first, this isn't meant to be a humble brag, but No Sleep is the first voice acting work mm-hmm. I ever auditioned for. And so okay. when that worked out, I just kind of kept auditioning for similar projects and it took on a bit okay. of momentum. And then other people approached me about <laughs> related projects because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sort of spun off into its own thing. Um, like it, the momentum kept up. And to be fair, I already had one foot in the horror world because the other thing I do with my time is uh, I'm a freelance writer and I write mm-hmm. for the horrorhoneys.com and Belladonna magazine, which is our print edition, which is exclusively mm-hmm. television and film reviews in the horror canon. So, okay. All right. All right. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it, but do you know about the, the streaming service that is exclusively horror that like, Look, I'll have to look it up for thing? you and send it to you. 
Oh, the streaming service that's exclusively uh, horror? That's Shudder, the site that's sponsoring Congeria. Okay, it is. Okay. In February. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, um, that looks really, really tight. Like the analytics they have seem really, Yeah, Shudder is amazing. And I'm not just saying that because they're giving us money to do a show. Um, uh, (laughs) They actually do have a really great selection. And I actually just recently started watching films on there because they have a lot of stuff that isn't on Netflix or Hulu or really in the mainstream. And that's honestly where Mm -hmm. a lot of the good stuff happening in the genre is lately. It's Mm -hmm. in stuff that doesn't get a wide release. Um, Elijah Wood has his own horror production company. Oh Have no, I did this? not know that. Yeah, he does. Um, his first, the first film uh, is called Cooties, which is a zombie virus film, only with, oh. with little kids. With little kids, it only affects little kids. That's interesting. I know nothing yeah. about that. Um, highly recommend you looking into that. I feel like it's right yeah, in your mo. Yeah, um, in your wheelhouse. Of stuff. I love an out of the box zombie story. I mean, Pontypool yep. is one of my favorite movies. Oh, what's that about? Pontypool is a Canadian film. Um, I don't want to give too much information about it because there's like a significant spoiler, but I should say it's a very, very unusual take on the idea of a zombie virus I've never seen before. And it uh, um, is is set in a um, radio station in rural Canada. That sounds awesome. It's really good. It's one of my favorite movies. It's it's really smart. It's really different. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, And do you... Do you enjoy being scared then? Because I mean, you're into horror? To be honest, fiction mm-hmm. doesn't scare me. <laughs> um, I'm scared okay. of everything but stuff I know isn't real. So I love horror. It's one of my okay. favorite genres. I think there's so much to play with, and I think there's so much cool stuff to be done in it. But I'd say at the most, I've been disturbed or startled by it. I'm not scared. That doesn't okay. really happen. Like maybe at one point it did, but at this point, I'm desensitized to the point where that doesn't happen. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I mean, like that. I feel like that would be ideal because you don't want to be frightened by the feel in which you. Yeah, work, I was gonna say once you know? you've been the scary <laughs> thing enough times, you don't find the scary thing scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh man, you could really unpack that for like life. Yeah, like no, you really can. Uh, yeah, just be a horrible person and eventually it'll stop offending you <laughs> no well i mean like um. not to get like too deep for a second but that is kind of why uh like like abuse and violence happen in cycles like someone who's the victim of violence becomes mm-hmm. violent because once you're the monster your monsters don't scare you it's the same kind of idea but that's like taking it to another tier of thinking but yeah that's okay <laughs> i think that's a i if anything i actually just appreciate yeah. that yeah um that's really cool. I don't really know too much about horror, but I always <laughs> I have to say horror, otherwise I say horror, uh, and it and then like I sound rhyming like with Torah. I'm at a Jewish, yeah. It sounds like I'm at a Jewish wedding. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah. Um. But that's that's really interesting. And um, what year are you? Oh, in this is my senior year. We're we're done. We're we're oh. on the way out. Hell yeah, dog. Um. <laughs> Wonderful. Which is um, surreal. And what? What, mm-hmm. uh, what sort of uh, courses are you taking? Uh, currently, what's my schedule? What did I do today? I and <laughs> what is the the day in the life of mm-hmm. Madison Peacock? What is what is the day your my day, day today? Hold? Well, I have a mm-hmm. bit of an unusual setup because I was a transfer student mm-hmm. to where I am now, and so technically, okay. my initial college trajectory would have had me out last year if I had continued where I initially went to school. 
but transferring programs put me a little bit behind, but it also put me in a situation where this year is sort of just barely having to happen. Like, so my course load is mm -hmm. a lot lighter than the average person in my department right now because I, I'm just basically tying up loose ends. But, uh, so my Tuesday, Thursdays, my Tuesday, Thursdays are a tap class, um, a jazz dance class, and then a history of theater lecture. And then my oh, Monday, really Wednesdays are a, an acting uh, class, a Meisner technique class, a, um, mm. stage makeup class and an acting through song repertoire class. And then my Fridays are just a tap class. Hmm. And, uh, and what do you think about Meisner acting? How do you feel? Cause oh, I love Meisner. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I love Meisner. Okay. And at what point are you at? I've done some. And where... Like, well, I'm in the final level offered in my department okay. of Meisner. Um, we've got, we've moved into scene work, okay. like actual scripted scene work, which after three years of <laughs> repetition and <laughs> exercises and emotional preparation and yeah. <laughs> extreme meaning and it's like um, personalization with monologue work, we've moved into scene work. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful. And then I actually, I should say, um, I have done some Stanislavski training as well. Mm -hmm. I did a study abroad program, uh, not this pr past summer, but the previous summer at the Moscow Art Theater. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I did a six-week six week Meisner intensive there. Not Meisner. I did a six-week Stanislavski mm -hmm. intensive there. Meisner's what I do at school. Mm -hmm. ah, but I did a six-week Stanislavski intensive there. And so that those are my two schools okay. of theater of acting thought those are where i live all right all right um and what was russia like russia was yeah. incredible actually i was in i i have a lot of <laughs> um trouble talking about my time in moscow now especially because the climate the political climate with russia oh. is so tense yeah but as a city and mm -hmm. as an artistic community moscow is one of the best places i've ever spent my time the people there are brilliant and subversive and um so clever and like uh i worked with i had the pleasure of uh, studying under andre kuzikev who's uh an acting teacher there at mahat uh, the moscow art theater and he was just the most brilliant man like i cried like once a day there not because i was sad just because it was like <laughs> i was learning so much and feeling uh -huh. so like inspired and also the city itself is so beautiful and there's so much good theater i saw this is gonna sound crazy i saw the best shakespeare i've ever seen in moscow that's wonderful i saw um a, mi a midsummer night's dream and i saw mm -hmm. two productions of 12th night mm -hmm. and that's... are not 12th night i'm a liar i saw two productions of the tempest <laughs> i can't talk no you're fine um that's awesome um so uh, and so what were you it was just an an intensive stanislavski training there it was stanislavski training specifically uh through chekhov uh-huh well that tracks yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> specifically um, we did mostly work from uh three sisters i did mm -hmm. work on the character of masha basically for three weeks right. or for six That's yeah for three weeks the, yeah the second three weeks and then the first three was like fundamental stuff and exercises mm -hmm. and team building, like, ensemble building. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a combination of, it was Stanislavski acting training, which we did for like about three hours a day, six days a week. Um, and then we did uh, 
depending on the day, cycled through a schedule that covered like Russian theater history, um, mm. movement, ballet, stage combat, uh, and voice. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like a lot of people have a misconception about Stanislavski in as much as a lot of people seem to think he was like some sort of egotist. Yeah. But if you you actually read what he has going on, it seems to be like you're giving yourself to something that is bigger than yourself. Yeah. Also, my biggest thing about Stanislavski, the thing I loved so much about it, and I think a lot of people have misconceptions about this, it's so much about playing. Like, it's yeah. so, fun, like, light and fun. Like, it obviously taps mm-hmm. into heavier stuff, but a lot of the exercises and a lot of the work you do to even build the foundation upon which you have to build your text work and everything is so much play. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's joy. Um, and that was so much... Uh, I remember um, we had, like, sort of post-mortems on, like, the six weeks on, like, the last day with uh, Andre and with uh, Misha, who is uh, his mm-hmm. other, like, his, his co-teacher. And essentially, like, in my sort of one-on-one session, it was basically, like, it's important to bring and to show, like, pain and intensity and human suffering to for, in your art, but you have to also remember to share your joy and the lightness mm-hmm. and the... the. I'm doing a hand gesture no one can see. Um, we <laughs> had a... There's a slogan. The slogan uh, of the mm-hmm. Moscow Art Theater, like, the, the mission statement of it essentially translates to... Easier, higher, lighter, more cheerful. That's wonderful. It's so beautiful. Uh-huh. And I think about it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's weird to combine that with someone who works exclusively in stuff that is very dark. But... <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, specifically, like you were saying, with horror as a genre, since we know it's a fiction, it isn't scary. True. And there's a joy in being scared. I think there's a catharsis in it. I think... Yeah. Um... I talk about this a lot, actually, specifically for women, I think, because I think something a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. know is that women are the primary consumers of horror films in the United States. More women buy tickets to horror movies than men do uh, by a fairly large margin. And I think it's because uh, there's a lot of stuff living in the United States as a woman today to be afraid of. And I think that having a safe space to explore fear, both supernatural, real, and realism, like fear... Uh, knowing that the lights are going to come up at the end of the thing and everyone's going to still be alive and you're still going to be safe is really therapeutic mm-hmm. for some people. And that's been my experience of it. Um, yeah. Like, I watch a lot of home invasion horror, which is weird given if anyone knows me, they know that that's one of my worst uh, fears uh, is yeah. uh, a home invasion. Um, I live in the middle of nowhere, and if somebody broke Mm -hmm. into my house and tried to systematically murder me and my family, uh, no one would find out for a long time. Uh, Okay. So that's a huge (laughs) fear of mine, but but my favorite, some Uh of my favorite horror films are home invasion based uh, because there's a catharsis there, and also almost always there's a final girl at the end who gets out safe and sound. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, got a lot of genre feelings. (laughs) Yeah. That makes, and it also makes just like a, a hell of a lot of sense. Um, and how, is there any particular way you use um, like the Meisner techniques of like bringing in your own emotion and like the, and the magic ifing of Stanislavski, bringing that into the horror genre? Because it's, I, I've done some horror uh, 
scripts, and they're always very hard for me to empathize with because I've never been in the situation, nor will I ever be, hopefully. So uh, the monologue work we've been doing uh, in my term, which is what most of a semester mm-hmm. of my time has been, has been the most helpful because it allows me to, yeah, start approaching it um, without a partner, without another. Um, and I've had to... I've done, I've used, I have to be careful Mm. with some of the stuff I do because some of it's to a level of intensity that I kind of can't be as in it as I would be in a live theater sense because it could get a little bit traumatic. Um, I have used emotional prep though. Uh, Like, I don't know how familiar, like I'm sure you know, you know, miser. Um, I've used emotional preparation um, in the form of uh, writing down like an improvised sort of internal monologue uh, about the circumstances I've talked to I, I, I'll like find someone I can like talk to about it yeah. before like I, I do everything I can to kind of get in the headspace of it um, and then also I have a specific a, a very specific thing I do which a lot of my uh, co stars on uh, no sleep do not do but this is my specific method I'm not saying mine's better or worse but uh because so much of what I learned through Meisner and Stanislavski is you don't want to bring your preconceived notions to the text. You want to let the text work on you. So if I have a story, I don't read the stories I'm narrating before I'm recording. I don't want to know anything that's coming aside from like, I'll like read the summary of my character, do some kind of background stuff. And then I will not read anything of the story because the stuff happens in it I want it to be new and I want to be discovering it and that's maybe like a hack thing mm-hmm. to do I maybe it's a like a shortcut or a cheat but I I find that nothing has an impact okay. as much as the first time I'm living it I would agree with that and I don't think it's a hack thing because it doesn't matter because like what whatever works for you is your yeah. work good then good are you okay with it it's fine but I re- I I definitely agree with you there. I remember I was reading the, um, I was doing a recording of the poem, Oh Captain, My Captain, and I'd never read the whole thing. I'd never mm-hmm. read the whole thing. And then you get to the end of it, and it's really, it, it's a blow, and then I, I listened to the playback of me reading it for the first time, and you hear yourself, or myself in this case, figure out what's happening. And the moment of discovery is actually the most important thing to play, I feel like. Yeah, and for for voice work, you have to force that moment of discovery in a way that you kind of, like, you have to kind of set up traps for yourself in a way that you don't with uh, theater or film acting, I think, because there's no, there's nothing to give you that discovery except for the text. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, if that makes it, yeah, you can't look to your partner, you can't look to your surroundings, there's nothing, I'm in a black box. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and then, of course, because at least my Meisner professor, his whole philosophy is, of course, this is pretty well, well known, well respected. Acting mm-hmm. is living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. So, yep. so much of what I'm doing is I literally just I look to the story and I go, let's play pretend. Let's mm-hmm. sit with this for a minute. Let it work on you. So it's and then go. Um, the whole thing for yeah. me is just making sure I'm not pushing anything onto the stuff that isn't there. Like I try to get all the tension out of my body and out of my voice unless it comes in naturally through like emotion or anything. Like um, I think a lot of, and this is, I, I hope I'm, I get really worried I'm sounding pretentious because I've been doing this for like a little bit over a year. I don't know shit, but um, a lot of <laughs> bad like voice acting I think comes from when people yeah. push too hard. 
Like you don't want to talk. Oh, for sure. You obviously have to work in a more heightened way because you can't just talk like you would any like like you can't just just mm-hmm. say it like you're reading it off a page. You have to like give it life, but you don't have to try mm-hmm. like if something's scary it will affect you and it will come out in your voice you don't have to make it scary the same way comedy like when you're doing scripted comedy it's funny don't make it you don't have to make it funny it's funny um mm-hmm. uh gene wilder put it like if the thing you're doing is funny you don't exactly. need to make it funny and i feel like yeah I, I totally agree with that and that that makes so much sense with horror if it's scary it'll be yeah. scary don't well, worry and about my it. uh my teacher um not the one i have currently but the one i had we had uh, my my training was split between two teachers my previous teacher uh used to always tell me like he would tell me um like do all your work beforehand when you're actually doing the performance when the stuff is at when the work's actually happening you don't have to work so hard <laughs> just if mm-hmm. you've done the work Absolutely. it's yep. there don't think about it you don't have yep. to work so hard um Absolutely. and that's been a big lesson for me is you don't have to work so hard yep because uh, i can I, totally he- I can hear it in my voice if i'm because that's the only other thing that sucks so b- not like actually but that sucks <laughs> so bad about voice acting versus other things is unless you're doing like a homegrown like film you're not watching yourself in it and you're when you're yeah. in theater you're never watching yourself oh, and yeah. when i'm I, I because i'm freelance with most of my work have to listen to myself because i have to edit it down and i'm like oh jesus is that me oh god <laughs> um <laughs> Oh God, stop. And I can hear when it's, I can hear when it's fake and I can hear when I'm making it up and I'm bullshitting. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. love, God bless him. I love, um, uh, I'll name drop my old, my old teacher, uh, Charles Goforth was my like foundational mm-hmm. teacher and he was well known, like running joke in my conservatory for being willing to like look at some like have somebody go in class do like an activity or something they've prepared ask them a couple questions about it and then look at them and go that's bullshit <laughs> like you don't believe what you're doing you don't believe that you that's bullshit mm-hmm. not your yep. work's bad but you don't believe mm-hmm. what you're doing right now it's bullshit yep. and i yeah. always i hear his voice in my head when i'm editing stuff and it didn't come out like and i can hear that i'm mm-hmm. faking i'm like i hear charles going that's bullshit <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah. I just monologued um, at you for like a million years. <laughs> um, I, I asked you to be on a program to talk about yourself. I think it's okay. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's true. But thank you for the social convention of acknowledging that. It's appreciated that you're being polite. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm from a, the I'm, south. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm from the north. We do the same thing. <laughs> um, Universal. Yep. Uh, now I got a, a personal question for you. Um, yeah. Which is when you're doing all this like emotional recall stuff and you, you've posted recently about like going through PTSD and, and trauma and that sort oh, yeah. of thing. How does that affect that process? Like how I, much do you have um, to tiptoe around? I am of the like something I've been taught in my Meisner training. Uh, the way it's been introduced to me is never, ever, ever pull from a real trauma. Okay. You create an imaginary trauma that you know would bring something out of you, but it's but you some only I I only use stuff in my work that I can then shake off and say it's not real. If okay. I'm working on anything that I think might bring up actual 
like because the thing about it is it's not gonna be good work because nobody like <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to listen to you like to me have a panic it's like nobody wants to mm-hmm. listen to that so it's not even just for myself it's for my work like I can't touch real stuff because it's not gonna be good it's gonna be like a it's gonna be like listening to someone's therapy yeah and nobody wants that people want humanity and they want like reality but they don't want like nobody wants people think people think they want it but they want they want real (laughs) through an approximated lens they don't want to actually sit there and listen to somebody have like an anxiety attack or uh like like an episode of like a flashback episode or something like they don't want that and Mm -hmm. also just for myself because uh no art is worth ruining your mind or your body uh this is correct touch anything that will mess with that and i'm currently in um i'm currently in a a method of therapy right now for ptsd that is that room is is sort of intended to slowly remove the like emotional response from the event um like it's not really immersion therapy it's but it's 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 a type it's a type of therapy um that it works it's it's for specific traumatic events and eventually ideally um i won't really have to navigate around this Mm -hmm. thing um but as of right now i actually do also actively avoid material i have an understanding with the producer at no sleep uh, of what stuff would tread in a dangerous area and Mm -hmm. basically it's treated the same way as you wouldn't ask an actor with a bum knee to do a dangerous physical stunt like yeah that might fuck up their knee forever i just say like this is gonna fuck with my brain right now uh Mm. i i can't do if you have a story that's living in this specific world uh can you give it to somebody else Mm -hmm. uh and eventually that won't be the case i think but for now i do not do any work that i think might open that up because it is not processed and it is not healed it's not healthy yet Mm -hmm. and how how receptive have you found people to to that idea of like oh no i can't do this has there been any backlash or no sorry one more time uh, how respect receptive have you found people um, to that idea of like no I can't do this particular material has there been any backlash? Well, I actually have been very lucky uh, with uh, that's the production team of No Sleep because all the mm-hmm. other stuff I have done has been kind of on a freelance basis and mostly been people sending me a story or like a role and being like do you want to do this and then I can say I don't have time or I can say yes I do but for No Sleep we get assignments every week and um, actually David David Cummings who's the producer of the No Sleep podcast and its host is an amazing guy because he will ask like anything with troubling material to kind of get a baseline with new actors, I did a story, actually one of my favorite stories I've done, uh, called the New Beginning Center on an episode of No Sleep Podcast that is set in an eating disorder clinic. Mm-hmm. And prior to me being assigned that role, I received an email from David basically saying, I don't know your personal history. Is this a role that you're gonna be okay doing? And I basically was able to say like, my like personal background isn't gonna like I'm okay like this is not a subject that is sensitive for me it's obviously heavy material but it's not something that's gonna mess me up in a permanent kind of way um and so that was uh and so but then like so any kind of 
story with material that might actually have an effect on someone in a real way because a lot of what we work with is very fantastical and not gonna yeah touch on anything real but whenever something does and the story wasn't even about an eating disorder it was about i don't want to spoil it's actually really cool it's 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 a supernatural story but it's set in an eating disorder clinic and so i got that message saying is this going to be okay um so i i'm thankful to work in a space that people are very that's like i work for an employer that doesn't even wait for you to tell him that something's Mm not safe he asks first which i think is very rare yeah Um, that's really wonderful yeah that's great. Uh, sometimes uh, being in a, a horror world, you bump up against people that don't really get that. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like people who love horror, um, sometimes you get people in that kind of consumer base that are, and obviously I haven't, I haven't actually worked with any of them. I just know of their existence and I've kind of seen them speak, but people who kind of love the like edginess of it and are like if you like horror how can you not be able to handle such and such because they don't understand the nuances of mental health and stuff but so what (laughs) I'm saying is in a world that sometimes is occupied with people who don't get it I'm really really lucky to work for someone who does yeah that's all good I'm glad and in a space that that does Mm -hmm. and how does it uh like like I I don't know what happened and you don't have to go into it but how hard is it to navigate um, you know, f- to use the parlance triggers throughout the day, and how do you do that? And do you do any mindfulness stuff? What's your deal? Yeah, I um, the thing about it for me is uh, it's very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna go into like details because you know, not yeah. trying to re traumatize myself right now, but um, <laughs> absolutely, uh, and I no, respect like, that's that. totally fine. I can talk about like in this way. Uh, I don't really in my daily life, I don't run into much that's gonna bring that up. I can actually consume media with stuff that is that would be triggering if i didn't know it was coming and for me the the issue is surprise Mm. that's why i get very frustrated with people who uh minimize the importance of trigger warnings because i don't even like one there's nothing wrong with someone avoiding material that has a trigger warning attached because of their trigger being in it but i don't even avoid media with my triggers in it i just Mm -hmm. have to know it's there yeah like i just have to know it's there and i had an an experience actually one of my only bad experience in russia um was a production of the cherry orchard that we saw that added a scene or like a, a movement scene into it that is not in the text that was uh very violent and very unexpected and I had to leave the theater like that was when I did not know that was coming because I've read the cherry orchard has nothing to do with the cherry orchard it was like a weird avant-garde choice and I had to leave the theater because I it set me into an like it set me into an anxiety attack because it was because it was a surprise yeah I watch a lot of horror movies I have a very high tolerance for all manner of fucked up stuff I just have to know it's there yeah I just have to know that makes sense. Like, trigger warnings to me are literally just that. It's just a, hey, s- heads up. This isn't here. And so, um, th- so it's not exactly expo- uh, exposure therapy that you're going through, but you're getting to a point where you're, like, thinking about it in a healthy, constructive way and getting yourself used to the idea that this is now part of your brain. Is that what's going yeah, on with it's, your therapy? Yeah, it's working through, it's sort of, um, it has to do, and uh, it's been explained to me much better than I could ever explain it, but um, it has to do with taking uh, the m- memory out of the, uh, like, taking the, like, uh, oh my god, 
<laughs> adrenaline response away from the memory. Mm-hmm. Like it's um, involves a lot of kind of uh, like meditative breathing and like uh, positive affirmation while talking through the event itself. So like allowing, cause you're not trying to erase it cause it happened, what happened happened. It's, it's about uh, removing the uh, reptile brain response, like the uh, taking it from something that lives in the, um, the reptilian brain and like the, uh, the adrenaline response in the fight or flight brain into the thinking brain. So you can, the rational okay. brain, which can say that's over, that happened and now it's not happening. And it's like, cause, cause when you're like, when you are, are, are living with, um, PTSD and you're triggered by something, you, uh, don't think it's happening like in your thinking brain, but your fight or flight response essentially is reacting like it's happened. Like basically goes like danger, danger, danger. Like it's, it's a danger response. So it's kind of slowly mm-hmm. like re basically trying to kind of rewire your brain from automatically going to that danger response. Okay. And something reminds Very you cool. of the event. I, and again, I'm not as good at explaining it. Like, there's a whole, the American Psychiatric Association has a whole thing about it and I <laughs> read about it, but I don't. Um, it's not made do you know the, the, uh, the name of it off the top of your head? So if people the do therapy want to technique, look. I have a pamphlet about yeah. it in my car. I don't remember it. I'm so sorry. Okay. No worries. Um, okay. And now um when you mentioned this um to people you know like you said you're lucky enough to work for an employer who's super conscious of this thing and as a real thing but when you're talking to people in your day-to-day do you bring it up often and if so how do they respond and how do you like how do you navigate it um socially it comes you, up very rarely. Um, honestly, it's something okay. that only comes up if someone says something shitty, uh, or <laughs> okay, or like like if someone says something shitty or like bullshit, um, I, I'll say something mm-hmm. about it. Uh, not like in a waving my flag around way. I just mean I'll kind of be like, hey, um, just so you know, that's if we could not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, if it comes up in other ways, like uh, sometimes I do ask about media like if uh like somebody is talking about a film that they want to watch i'll be like can i like ask like what's especially if it's a horror film i'll be like can i ask if there's like Mm -hmm. some stuff in here and they'll be like yeah there is or no there isn't and then i'll kind of maybe elaborate on what's up and to be honest i travel largely in circles where i don't feel afraid saying so i don't feel afraid talking about it because Mm -hmm. um most actors have mental illnesses uh like and i don't mean that in like a weird anti-actor way i just mean that as far as i've experienced most people in artistic communities have at least are living with depression or anxiety or any such combination of things it's it's not a it's not an unusual situation to be in which isn't a good thing but it's a good thing for a sense of community and a sense of safety uh yeah and people are gonna be shitty like they are but like i don't tend to it is something i keep to myself unless it comes up like transparency is important to me but i'm not gonna just like open conversations (laughs) with it i'm not gonna like introduce myself with it um but okay or like if a behavioral thing if if it comes up or if I have a reaction to something that I recognize isn't normal, I can kind of, mm-hmm. I'll like explain, if, you know, 
It's yeah. if it comes up. Mm-hmm. And when it does come up and you do say, oh, I have this thing, what, um, what's the ideal response for you from the other person? I, I feel bad saying this because I know people want to be like, um, people want to be really, people want to be sensitive. So they want to like empathize and like be with you with it. But um, uh, for me, it's to the point where like, I, I don't want someone to be like, oh no, I'm so sorry. Like, it, and I know it's from such a good place, mm-hmm. but I'm like, <laughs> ah. So honestly, as long as someone's just <laughs> nice about it, like I, I would, I, I would hope someone would respond to it the same way I would respond to someone telling me they had like, a super dangerous peanut allergy and not to eat peanut butter around them like like I've had a, a lot of close friends with like a really bad peanut allergy, or I have a really I have a good friend with a really severe latex allergy and he said like mm-hmm. um please don't like he will go into anaphylactic shock and he said like um basically he said like I can't be in a room if there are latex balloons and everyone's like okay <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. like then I won't do that that's all I want like honestly that's all I, I really want is okay. the same as like someone's talking about like an allergy or like maybe like um don't mind me i just gotta take my insulin because of my diabetes like something else that's like a managed yeah. like a, a thing you're managing and like maybe other people need to be careful of i think allergy is more of a parallel for me because that's something other people can affect you with unintentionally uh yeah it's like mm-hmm. someone having a dangerous allergy that's kind of the response that would be ideal is just someone being like oh okay i'll make sure not to do that <laughs> or like if okay. that makes sense yeah, no, it makes total sense. I don't want it to be a big thing. I, I think, yeah, I feel like that's most people when they have any sort of disorder. It's just like, oh, okay, that's part of you, but that's not all of you, and then you kind yeah. of move on with it because you're still the same person before and yeah. after you're given that same. information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, have you dealt with anything besides the the PTSD in oh, regards yes. to your your brain parts? Yeah, I and have. And if so, um, what? This it, is actually my more significant thing. I uh, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh, I okay. was diagnosed um, about three years ago, but like I've cool. been like, uh, like basically <laughs> it was like the most like finite or like not finite. It was the most like actually like kind of finished diagnosis because I've been I've had anxiety issues since I was like seven years old maybe mm-hmm. possibly younger that's just the first time I can remember having a panic attack uh, and um okay I uh found that out like I I started actually kind of um doing like uh doing some kind of uh like personal recovery stuff like I left a lot of situations that made me really uh stressed out and I uh, came back to my hometown to kind of start getting my act together and I kind of realized that I nobody had ever really nailed down what was going on with me and so I finally I found like a new therapist and just kind of sat down and started talking about like all the stuff I've done my whole life and like all the weird like ways my brain works and sees the world and all this stuff and uh, finally like this was brought up like I it was brought up that most of the things the symptoms I was exhibiting aligned with uh, OCD and Mm -hmm. um, nobody this is something I talk about a lot actually I'm a lot more open about this one because I want people to know that the symptoms don't look like they're depicted in popular culture because I would never Mm -hmm. ever have guessed that was what was going on with me and what I mean it's not gone it's just in treatment but what is going on with Mm -hmm. me because if it doesn't look like uh 
the guy in Monk or Jack Nicholson and as good as mm-hmm. it gets, like organizing things and like cleaning everything and washing your hands 80 times a day, then people don't know that that's what it is. People are so just like, oh, I just have like all that? these weird things. Mm-hmm. Or like um, so people have like hypochondriac stuff and like all this other stuff that they don't think comes together into this full picture of a disorder and then they wonder mm-hmm. why their anxiety treatment isn't helping. Uh, okay. But yeah, um, so what would you say the symptoms that you would like people to see? What would those be? Well, I like, think more people should know that so much of it happens in your head. Like, there's a reason it's mm-hmm. not just CD. It, there's an O for a reason. Um, like, yeah. intrusive thoughts and, like, getting stuck in, like, repetitive cycles of anxieties and, like, very particular obsessions like uh as a child i was obsessed with um checking my body for tumors uh so a lot of like hypochondriac obsessions um come into that and then there's a lot of like other stuff like magical thinking like thinking if i don't do this thing just right then everything else will go wrong or like like to really small stuff like if i don't um if i don't turn off the lights in my room then something might happen and a bulb might burst and my room might catch on fire like it's it's a lot of um kind of Mm -hmm. it's it's really hard to articulate and then also rituals but not just cleaning because i am a really messy person so i never thought because i'm i'm not organized i'm not organized at all and when you hear Mm -hmm. ocd you think organization and that's not what the o stands Mm -hmm. for so i don't know where people get that but um (laughs) it's 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 not that it's like maybe having to um knock on wood three times after you say something you don't want to come true or um Mm -hmm. like not just doing it like in a fun superstitious way but like to the point where you might make somebody else do it because if they don't then you're not going to be able to let it go um Mm -hmm. or uh having to check your alarm six times before you go to sleep or you won't be able to sleep or like it's 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 smaller Mm -hmm. everyday stuff it doesn't necessarily look as dramatic to the outside person like it can be made up of a million little things that you think everyone does and then you realize that not Mm -hmm. everyone does that um and you realize not everybody does that Uh, not everybody checks that they can still hear uh, by rubbing their ears every time they wake up in the middle of the night. Um, not everybody uh, has to say drive safe before anyone you know gets into a car because otherwise they might crash the car. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just a list of You're some right. of my little things. But like, there's I'm still learning yeah. about things that I've done my entire life uh, that n- mm-hmm. I thought were just kind of regular things to do that are not. Um, yeah that are symptoms of a greater problem yeah i've i've um very some symptomology as well doing with my disorder and a lot of it's like even numbers and stuff and so like all i've always it's always bothered me that i'm not ambidextrous because my left hand feels constantly like uh, itchy because i can't write on the same amount on both sides and stuff like that and it just feels like your world is slightly off all of the time um at least for me and it's it's really interesting because a big part of like what you're saying that isn't actually explored a lot in the media is the intrusive thoughts of like thoughts you cannot get away from no matter how hard you try and so your brain just makes something up so it quells it because at that point your brain's just like can we just do anything but Mm -hmm. this and um 
but what's really kind of gratifying is that I would say I think I've seen studies where at least 98% of the population um, suffer from intrusive thoughts in some form or another. So yeah, it's it is not a the very relatable thing. Thoughts. Yeah, it's the it's inability. It's how to your brain decides to cope. Stop with. it. Yeah, for sure. Has there ever been a point with your with your acting or your art um, where the obsessive thoughts have gotten in the way of you performing Absolutely. your job? Absolutely. Okay. Actually, I would say that until I figured out what was going on and finally got started getting things sorted out, I don't think I I don't think I started to grow as an as an actor at all until I started like um, until mm-hmm. I started getting that under control. I think that plenty of disorders you can kind of work around, but I think and and not really and it might not impact that but um less so now that I'm aware of myself and everything and know how to manage everything and everything's been kind of worked on for a while now but before I had any sense of what was going on I just knew that my brain worked a certain way and knew that I couldn't um I I couldn't get out of my head I couldn't get out of my head in anything Mm -hmm. I was doing in any of my work in my singing and my acting in any of it and it and it put made me stagnant completely mm-hmm. um and how did that affect you taking meisner classes because that's what all meisner is is moment to moment to moment and if you're well, thinking about a bunch of other things fair, how did i you didn't cope? Really start my meisner training until right around when i started getting this under control it did affect it initially okay. though it did um especially when we mm-hmm. started doing uh, emotional preparation i had a lot of trouble um reconciling imagining something horrible happening with the reminding myself that thinking about that wouldn't make it happen um Hmm. it was a trigger for a lot of my like old intrusive kind of magical thinking thought patterns i I used to have a fixation on Mm -hmm. the idea that if i thought about something enough times it would happen in a good way and a bad Mm -hmm. no only in a bad way really if i thought about a good thing too much it wouldn't happen for sure and if i thought about a bad thing too much it would definitely happen um so mm-hmm. uh, when we started emotional preparation, I had to sit down with my with my professor and basically like talk it through with him um, mm-hmm. that it was kind of bringing out some stuff and then how to sort of work through that and around it and like tackle that and not let that affect me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's good. Do you think the Meisner helped you do that as I well? I think it did. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. Um, okay. It also helped me get out of my head a lot. It also helped me uh, trust my perceptions of other people more a little bit, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. it helped, um, yeah. uh, helped my, my social anxiety a bit because I learned how to better be with people instead of analyzing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of course in Miser you are paying attention to your partner, but you're not thinking really hard about everything they're doing. You're just taking mm. it in. Yeah, and reacting. It's a lot. Like you're not sitting there simpler, for twenty minutes yeah. after they do something, thinking about what they might have meant by that. Um. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, you know. And uh, have you done like CBT and like how or how have you decided to compartmentalize the intrusive thoughts and the compulsions? How do I you CBT battle that? I've done CBT, and I'm also on uh, I'm on Prozac, which is okay. very commonly prescribed for OCD. And it's been mm. a lifesaver for me. Like it has uh, yeah. helped me so much. Um, I will defend. Uh, I will defend medication as an option to, with my dying breath because I ha- didn't feel like myself for. Because it got much much worse when I turned about seventeen. Um, mm-hmm. My condition got like 
so much worse was ruin absolutely ruining my like my life like from the outside it looked fine but I was I was not okay and that mm-hmm. uh, combined with getting in uh, to treatment with the situation I'm in now was uh, completely changed everything about my life and my art and my ability to start getting my act together and it's that's been how I've managed it mm-hmm. was there any point where you were like worried about seeking treatment because you thought that this disorder might be what's fueling you as an artist not really if only I know a lot of people struggle with that the only reason I, I wasn't able to ever get in that situation was because I could kind of tell it was ruining my ability to do anything like I wasn't okay. like I didn't have any great talent or ability to lose because I wasn't able to do anything like I I, I wasn't taking in any new information I wasn't getting better and I wasn't doing anything so I figured it can't get worse okay I figured that, it that can't track. get worse, might as well try it. Yeah, that's um, that's actually an incredibly, like, lucky situation, and I'm glad that worked out for you. I like it Me too. I, I, that's wonderful. Because I have seen people in situations where they let stuff go untreated because they are worried that their artistic prowess comes from it somehow. I had a bit of, I was a little bit nervous mm-hmm. about taking medication because of that, but that fear kind mm-hmm. of went away as soon as I realized that I was actually much more um, emotionally available Mm. on it like it allowed me to react to things organically and spontaneously and be with people more again it took me out of my head so it let me Mm -hmm. be a better it made me a much better artist good I'm glad and um and you're like what 22 22 and 22 okay as of a couple weeks ago 22 Yes, happy, happy belated. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it's really, it's really what's really wonderful. The reason I bring it up is that you caught this so early on. Well, and part I think of the reason I did is because um, I have close family who, mm-hmm. um, for their privacy, I won't say who, but um, close family who mm-hmm. I am very close to who have OCD as well and did not get it diagnosed mm-hmm. till they were in their 30s. And okay. they, that was partially their input that helped me kind of realize I needed to look into it and figure out. Cause obviously it does, it is genetically passed down a lot of the time, the predisposition for it. So that was the extra push I needed to kind of go to a therapist and be like, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I had like a very the full, like experience. testing and everything. And they were like, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's always like it's I remember um, I had a similar like when I first got my diagnosis it was like wonderful to finally have your suspicions confirmed but also realizing oh god this is my life now okay let's yeah. make a plan but we the can thing do that this I guess I but to keep reminding myself was that your life isn't any different actually you just have a name for what you're mm. doing and feeling like you've been yeah. living your life in this forever um, or at least for a while, it's just a name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's a way to categorize Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, I I really like that idea. Um, yeah. My uncle says um, normal's just a setting on a dryer, um, and I feel like it kind of <laughs> goes along with that. 
of like, you know, everyone's got something, now you have a name for it, now you can kind of work with it instead of being confused by it. And that's wonderful. And yeah. Yeah. I had a very similar situation to yours because, like, um, I, you know, I'm on the bipolar spectrum and a couple of my family members are as well. And mm-hmm. so it became very clear and it made a lot of sense. And that's always, once again, it's this very gratifying going, oh, this makes sense. We're doing this. It, it is okay. As opposed to, because I I feel like a lot of people who have disorders have imposter syndrome to the point where they doubt their own diagnosis. Yes. Yes. And coming to grips with that is really, really hard because. Yeah. I was like, I'm just being dramatic. Don't be such a baby. Like. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I had the same thing. That's made me with both of mine. Um, It's Mm -hmm. been like, oh, shut up. No, you're not. Like. But the doctor said, <laughs> <Yeah>. Addison. Um, yep. <laughs> and you sh- we, we, as a society, we trust doctors, so please just do that thing. But yeah, um, yeah, it's... And it only happens when you're having, like, an okay day, I find. You know, because oh, there yeah. are days where I'm like, oh, definitely. But when you feel like a normal person and then you should be happy with what's going on because it's a nice, pleasant day and you're productive and happy and you're with friends or whatever... And then all of a sudden there's all this looming cloud of what if you've been lying your whole life? Mm-hmm. And then You're you not suffering like, enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just don't open that door. Leave it closed. You don't need to yep. see what's on the other side. Just let it pass. Um, I recently yeah. started meditating. And the big part of it is like letting your mind wander, but letting those thoughts go too. It's like not judging them for what they are, but like kind of, you know letting them float by like on mm-hmm. the river of your thoughts Seeing and, and, and I going, think learning okay okay there it goes mm-hmm. waving to it and going okay bye we'll see you again soon i'm sure um yeah. do you yeah <laughs> um do you what sort of mindfulness techniques do you use to like i think um, you kind of got into it a little bit but specifically well my mom's I a part-time like yoga instructor so okay a lot of stuff linked to that um mm-hmm. and then i also use i've used various meditation apps over the years uh i just started using headspace is that one you use headspace and do you is recommend really it? good good headspace is I'm really glad. good Mm-hmm. It's a godsend, honestly. Okay. Like Headspace is 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 really, really, really helpful. I recommend it all the time. Good, 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 good. Um. Also, uh, you and I met online because of the McElroy brothers. Yeah. Yeah. And how? Because they talk about social anxiety enough that it's like really permanent. Like it permeates everything they do, but. I also find their stuff is like really great as a sort of like an antidepressant because it's so joyful. And yeah. if you, um, I would love to hear your experience about that as well. Has that has has their stuff helped you at all through any sort of um, oh absolutely shitty um, times? <gasps> sorry, sorry, I got distracted because um, uh, do you know Veronica Mars at all? Um, I know of it. Yes. Okay, well, I wrote an article, um, or I wrote a piece for Real Honey, which is R-E-E-L, which is a, like, movie and TV, uh, site for, like, female Mm -hmm. writers, and I wrote a piece for it about, uh, Mac from Veronica Mars, who's, like, one of my favorite TV characters ever, and, (gasps) (gasps) um, and, uh, the actress who played her saw it, and she 
liked it and sent me a bunch of hearts and I'm gonna cry. That's wonderful. Um, That's wonderful. Sorry. Oh my god. No, you're quite alright. So <laughs> Tina. Good. Okay. I'm having a moment. I'm keeping okay, all of that in, brothers. by the back way. I'm keeping that all of that in. Oh, it's good. Yeah. It's really good. good. I love her so much. Um, so McElroy Brothers, I had unfortunately there was a period of time when I took a long break from them because uh, mm -hmm. when I was in high school my first uh, boyfriend introduced me to them and then when we broke up and it was really weird and sad I like couldn't listen to them because it made me remember like our relationship and it was a whole thing um, so I mm -hmm. stopped for like two years and then I started listening to the ga them again around the time I ended up transferring from my old school to where I am now which was largely because of mental health stuff and so I would spend a lot of time in bed uh, not moving because I didn't want to go anywhere or think about life or the world and I would just put on podcasts for hours and hours and hours and hours and so I would listen to almost exclusively My Brother My Brother and Me and Welcome to Night Vale those were like the two right. pieces of media I consumed so I, I found it to be an extremely welcome way to turn off my brain and listen to somebody else having fun and saying goofy weird stuff Mm -hmm. And it was really, really nice. Okay. Um, so it's like an, an excellent distraction from your day-to-day -day as yeah, opposed to like something all the stuff in there, therapeutic. Yeah. And I always, okay. I love them. I, I do think they put a lot of really love, beautiful positivity into the world. And also they're very human and very honest in their work, which is what mm -hmm. I strive to do and to be. So. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Um, man. They're good boys. Yeah, they are. They are. They're also They're like boys. what m <laughs> My favorite thing about them is their total willingness to go, "Yeah, we were shitty for a long time. Didn't know it. Now we do." And you know, we hate that we were shitty. I love that a lot that they're allowing Growing themselves and learning to and, and owning up to it is so much mm -hmm. of like I think that's something a lot of people don't seem to get is like it's okay to fuck up. You just have to be willing to then say I fucked up. It was bad. Yep. Um, yep. And I mean, yeah, like, obviously, there's a level of to which you can fuck up that you can't come back from. Like, don't like you can't like murder someone and then be like sorry. But <laughs> uh, yeah, for the most that's part, fair. yeah. And like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as someone who's like a sober person, I'm a huge believer in reform and changing who you are because people, the one constant thing about people is that they change. And oh, yeah. that's Change is the very, only constant. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly hopeful, specifically with people who are dealing with like any sort of mental illness is because you can change, you can get better. It is okay. You can go from here, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But Patton also would also has been very open about like oh yeah i was a really shitty guy in the 90s because like i was okay i thought this was okay and this okay and then now i've learned that it's not and the more people ha that have that viewpoint i think the better and more progress the, the better they are and the more progress we make um absolutely yeah uh t t there was a thought that i had all right um i assume you enjoy steven universe for like the same reason like that and like the lessons that they teach about mindfulness are really great oh Do you my god talk a bit i about think about that comes a thought all the time mm -hmm. i think about it all the time mm -hmm. i love it 
I also right. just, I just, yeah, I love that show. I have a lot of fondness for the idea of a show. I mean, obviously targeted at children, but for anybody about a mm-hmm. young boy fighting evil and darkness and navigating the world with his uh, compass being kindness mm-hmm. and and empathy love. and empathy. Exactly. Yeah. That like that means yeah. a lot to see. Yeah. And it's a show I think I could have really benefited from having on when I was a kid, but right. settle for it coming ah. now. Yeah. It's it's really I wonderful. I mean, I had I had some good stuff growing up. We had like I had like Avatar: The Last Airbender and a lot of shows that taught me about nuance and humanity and empathy. But that's one that mm-hmm. I could have used. But it's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's coming at a time now. You still have it in your life, and that's okay. You know. Yeah, not done mm-hmm. growing yet. The brain doesn't stop developing till like your late twenties. So. Yeah. Even then, like I I think you can trick it into constantly growing if you're smart oh, you about can. it. I mostly just mean that the frontal lobe is literally still developing oh, yeah. until you're like 25. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm a, as someone who recently hit 25, I am well aware. I became like an idiot. I don't learn as quick immediately. Like the day after you at Addison, Addison, I'm warning you now. Like as someone Please don't tell just, me that. You just immediately become a dunderhead. I don't like this curtain of things to come. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. Um, yeah, you can like I just met this um, comedian, and he's like forty something, and he just is so open to life and whatnot. And I think I love that. I love it so much, and I think what's really wonderful about the generation that you know we kind of belong to is there seems to be this idea of listening first and then reacting, rather than just going trying to shut people up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we're actually, as much flack as uh, millennials get for being supposedly self-centered, my personal experience has been that we are a very, very deeply sensitive and empathetic generation of people. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, weirdly enough, I attribute that to um, the internet. Because as much as the internet is garbage and a dumpster fire and breeds so (laughs) much evil and filth and bile, I'm sorry, it just does. Oh yeah, it totally does. It allows people who want to see other people and seek out things and connect to people of all experiences. It lets you see that and it lets you do that. And I think it gives gives a very broad global sense of everything. Yeah. I don't know. And I feel like um I feel like our gener- like millennials also have this thing of like because it, you see everything, we've harnessed empathy through that because now we know a bunch of stuff that we had no idea what was going on and rather exactly. than going, well that's not my problem, we've gone and like this is where I think people do think we're egotistical. We go, I can help fix this. But the other thing is like it's a bunch of people. It's a society going, I can fix this. Not just one person going, no, I'm the... It's We acknowledge that we have to come together as a group. Um, and I think that's yeah. very much lost in most mainstream media. I agree. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we agree on this subject, Addison. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been... A pleasure and a half having you um, on this program. Thank you so much and for having me. More. Yep. And if people want to find you, do you have a website or anything like that? I don't have a... Pro- my professional website is currently in the works, but I do have a Twitter. 
we're that's where all my professional stuff is kind of contained at the moment mm-hmm. and that is um at addison underscore peacock a-d-d-i-s-o-n little underscore and then peacock like the bird p-e-a-c-o-c-k um and that's where i keep all my stuff right now so like any of my voice acting will pop up over there i also do have a facebook page i do not update it very often because it needs to be retooled but i do have a professional facebook page and it is just my name it's just addison peacock it can be found and followed if that's your thing Mm -hmm. um also um, i do a podcast uh that's mm -hmm. my own podcast with my one of my best friends uh about cryptids and cryptozoology and stuff and it's called the cryptid keeper and that's also on facebook and twitter if people want to listen to that and look at that I have two things. One, excellent, excellent title. You crushed it. Congratulations. I, I Alex I came up. My, my co-host Alex invented the title, I gotta say. Okay. Okay. Well done, Alex. She crushed it. Two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two, what are cryptids? What is that? Oh, cryptid. It's a, a creature that's not been definitively proven or disproven by science, like Bigfoot, Nessie, uh, Mothman. Oh, oh, man. That is so cool. I'm cryptozoology sorry, like, is the study of oh. oh man that's so cool no like i'm like okay it's, so like it's, I a, have this <laughs> it's a comedy podcast like we're not super st- like we're kind of silly about it but mm-hmm. yeah no no you're good it's just like i have this thing where um one of my best friends really believes in ghosts and i i don't at all i'm like fucking ghosts but bigfoot's real like that's my it's totally real yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, the cryptozoology as opposed to a lot of other kind of paranormal stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I've mm. we won't go into it, but I've lived in a haunted dorm. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was just the way you wanted to scoot past that. Continue. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, I uh, like a lot of cryptozoology stuff. Like it's a lot of it. Like we find new animals all the time. It's not that yeah. weird for most, like, don't get me wrong. There are some things that are like really wild and out there, but for a lot of things, like uh, we just recently did an episode on something called the Ahul, which is this like supposed species of giant bat in, mm-hmm. uh, on the Island of Java. And that's pretty likely like there yeah. are big bats. Like that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of I cryptids like- are things that I hear about and I'm like, that sounds kind of wild, but also plenty of really wild animals exist. Like really <laughs> weird, like sea cucumbers are a thing. Like, why not? Yeah. Have you um, seen an eye-eye? Not really. They're very rare. Like all the time. Oh, I've seen pictures. They're weird as hell. Oh yeah, for sure. Also, um, nice pull with Actually, really th- wild animals. I think and- that's... Go ahead. There are, th- sorry, there are a lot of animals that used to be thought to be cryptids and then were since mm-hmm. confirmed, and I think the I.I. might be one of them. Yeah, because uh, they think they bring them bad luck. So yeah. they were like, there was this legendary thing, and so yeah, for sure. And now yeah. they're like, oh, but that's like actually a super real animal. Yeah, super duper. But um, I'm going to have to listen to your podcast now, so thank you for that. I appreciate you letting me know about that. Um, but yeah, it's been really wonderful having you on and thank you for doing this. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm seriously so, so grateful. It's really nice of you to have me on. No worries at all. Anytime. Love when when people want to let me talk. (laughs) Um, yeah, I hope, I hope you have a really good uh, evening. You said you have like a show tonight, right? Um, yeah, I do. I'm performing some stand up comedy. 
Hell yeah, I hope that goes well. Bye. Bye.